Hey Saints, hope you had an awesome Christmas with loved ones. Today we have a special guest from New York, Philip Yang. Phil is an architect, entrepreneur, creative, and soon-to-be graphic designer. This episode's a bit different, so tune in and have fun. Hey Saints, happy holidays. Welcome back to the Saints of San Francisco podcast where we dive deeper into work, faith, and fulfillment. I'm your host, Isaac. And today for episode seven, we have a very special guest all the way from New York and and now Jersey, but a Los Angeles native. We have Philip Yang. Phil, can you do a short intro for yourself? Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, born and raised L.A., uh, moved to the East Coast, worked in New York, and currently living in Jersey City. Awesome, Phil. So, one, oh wait, before that, we need to do the icebreaker. So, my icebreaker <laughs> question to you is, if you could master anything that you wanted in an instant, but it could only be one thing, mm-hmm. what would that be? master something yeah like as in like um how would i say it so somewhat like a superpower right you'd say yeah or it doesn't have to be a superpower it could be like um clay pottery or riding a motorcycle or Uh, if i could just master one thing yeah instantly Mm -hmm. um dang that's a really hard question um i'd say Probably just master in reading people's minds. Reading people's minds. <laughs> okay, it, so it is a superpower, but but why reading people's minds? I guess it could go like pro and con, but um, I don't know. I just I always do. I like people watching, um, so it's it's I don't know. I just want to get into um, just understanding what people are going through, I guess, and trying to read what they're thinking interesting it could, it, like you mentioned it could be pro it can, yeah exactly a pro and a con it could backfire too but but looking at your your facial expressions and just the total vibes i'm going to assume that it's going to be for for good in, in yeah future. absolutely yeah oh interesting interesting answer and then we'll kind of i think delve deeper into to why that is your superpower is probably going to show up as we continue this conversation. So, well, welcome um, to to the podcast. And as we've discussed previously, we just want to get to know our guests. Um, and and you know, as as a fellow Christian, as a fellow mm-hmm. brother, and someone who's also been in a very interesting industry that we'll talk about. Um, we just wanted to discuss, you know, one, how did you grow up? Um, in terms of your Christian walk, your faith, um, did you grow up, um, you know, with your family being Christians and going to church and being forced to go to church? Or um, did you find it yourself and your parents are atheists? Or what was your Christian journey like? Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, to be honest, growing up, my parents were Christian um, when they were younger. Uh, but when they immigrated over here, um, you know, they're more focused and um, about, I guess, like, you know, keeping food on the table or, yeah. or working and, and those long hours and things like that. Yeah. Um, so they didn't have the time to 
kind of, you know, put themselves into a church. Yeah. But, you know, they did tell me to like, you know, for myself to get involved and things like that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it was interesting. My mom uh, was a Christian and she switched over to Catholic. Whoa. Yeah. So there was a time like that. My grandmother on my dad's side is Buddhist. Oh. Yeah. And and my dad was, you know, Christian. And so it was, it was all over the place. Um, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know what's right or wrong. You yeah. know what I mean? And so um, at the time, all I could think of was, okay, like, I'll go to Catholic mass with my mom, like when she did have time. Mm-hmm. And if not, then I just kind of followed what, what the other students were doing or like what other friends were doing. And they're mostly Christian, yeah. um, being Korean American. And so, you know, that kind of just happened and I started, you know, following my friends and doing those things. And then once I got into college, um, I, I got more, I guess, uh, involved with the church. Um, I found a church in LA and I started going with my younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, my, my mom was fine with me going to a cat, uh, I mean, a Christian church. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of like me figuring out myself, wow. my identity. Um, and yeah, just through all that, like, you know, I'm thankfully in a church right now. I'm mm-hmm. um, just back home. Yeah. But, um, I'm, I've been on a journey to find that right church on the East coast. Mm. So that's just been on and off. So it's, you know, you jump in, you jump out, Got it. figuring yourself out. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just as a disclaimer to our listeners, usually I have guests on, um, that I know. And that was something that was feedback that I've received of, Oh, Isaac, you have a lot of guests on that you already know or have known for some time, but, uh, Phil is actually someone that I met just a couple of days ago, um, and I was hosting him. Uh, seemed like a very interesting guy. So I'm just as in the unknown as as you guys, Saints. Um, so I'll be asking a lot of questions to delve a little bit deeper into Phil, um, but we're on the same page. Um, so with that said, what makes it more difficult in New York as opposed to, let's say, L.A. or San Francisco to find a home church, what's been the, I guess, the obstacle for you? The main obstacle I'd say is, uh, first of all, um, you know, just growing up, like by going to a church where you knew someone, um, Mm. a friend or, you know, family member or whoever it may be. But I moved to New York without knowing a ton of people, Mm. like maybe one or two people. Yeah. And, um, you know, trying to find a church on my own is in a way intimidating. Oh man. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, like if, if I'm being like, just honest, it's, it's hard to just throw yourself into church, make new friends, talk to new people and all this stuff all while I'm in a new city. Mm, um, that's good. So trying to do that as much as I'm an extroverted person, yeah. um, it does get tiring at some point. Right. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I try to do that. And, um, that was one of the hard things, uh, finding a church, but also 
uh, a lot of the churches were a lot larger than the churches I come from. Got it. And so in that sense, it was also somewhat intimidating. Yeah. Um, and the commute. So, oh. you know, there are churches in Jersey, but Jersey's, you know, incredibly huge. Yeah. And same with New York, but there are only a few churches where you can, you know, get yourself on the subway and, and try to go and attend. I see. But, um, just, yeah, I mean, these, these might be excuses too, but it's just been hard trying to find that right church that fits everything for me. Um, yeah. whether it's the message, um, the people and yeah, just everything involved with it. And so, yeah, I've always tried to attend my home church when I do, you know, come back home. Mm-hmm. But I've also spoke with my pastor where he was like, Hey, you should still try to find that one church that you can attend to because it makes all the difference um, to find a new home church. Um, so yeah, just kind of in that journey at the moment too. Got yeah. it. Got it. So, I mean, we all know that there, there's no such thing as a Goldilocks church, but I mean, if you don't like the pastor, you don't like the message. Um, that's pretty much a, a big obstacle um, and hopefully you'll be able to find a place in New York, but also including uh, the geographical limitations, uh, as well as, you know, finding the right subway if you're in Manhattan and you probably don't have a car because it's not practical, then that adds a layer of difficulty to finding a home church. Otherwise, you know, San Francisco is known to be the graveyard of churches statistically. So a lot mm-hmm. of church plants get formed here mm-hmm. and they don't last past, you know, in, you know, on average, the year mark. So for New York, is there um, a stereotype or a trend or a pattern that you also notice in terms of, you know, people come to New York to experience the city and network, meet a lot of people and, and, and to kill it at your job? Um, do you feel like those aspects of New York um, at a macro scale affects um, building out a good church culture as well? Um yeah, I mean, churches, there's there's a lot of churches everywhere. Um, yeah. There's a lot of churches in New York, uh, you know, different, different, like, backgrounds and just different people and different ways of, um, I guess, how would you say it? Just, like, how they run their church. Mm. But... Um, you know, like you just got to assimilate yourself into one or two and, and see how that goes. And then you find the next church and the next yeah. church and you're just at the end of the day, you're church hopping. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Cause you just meet a lot of people just in public right. and everything's word of mouth. Um, if you're at work or you met someone or you know someone and they're like, Hey, are you in a church? And I'm like, no, then they'll recommend you that church. Mm. But, um, I think that's across the board. That's how most people I feel like would find churches. Yeah. Um, and in New York, you find churches in the most random buildings. (laughs) (laughs) They're, They're above a market or they're, you know, that's just how New York is. Yeah. Um, and some are in like, these old beautiful churches too. Yeah. Um, but it's really rare. 
Yeah. So, yeah, there's just there's just so many different types of churches um, that I've attended to in New York. Yeah. Um, but then the day it's just finding a balance and what works for me and what doesn't. Um, so yeah. Got it. Got it. Oh man. So so I think there's a point that you made there of like you already meet so many people outside of the church, mm-hmm. um, and you're you're doing a lot of things and especially if you moved from coast to coast and you're new in New York, you're absorbing so many different things and trying to, you know, find a place to live, trying to find your friend group, trying to do well at work. So what what was that experience like to you in terms of juggling, being in a new city and also trying to find a new church? Do you feel like there was an overlap there or do you think finding a new church was just an extra thing that you had to do that made everything else difficult? Um, when I first moved to New York, I was like three and a half years ago. I, I try to think of all the essential things that were in my like daily life. Mm. So friends, um, food, (laughs) um, and just like things to do or like parks, and and of course church was one of them yeah um and like certain things i just needed to kind of have grounded like to build a foundation of my life in this new chapter that i was opening up yeah um and so yeah it was just like at first i just needed to find the friends yeah i just needed to find that core group of people that i can talk to understand and i guess build some sort of experience with them definitely um with that being said uh, I was able to find that core group of people um, and just, you know, hang out and just get to know people and um, doing all these things. But, you know, it's just like now it was like, OK, find that church. And I've asked like a good chunk of people. Um, and I have friends that were like, you know, just um, different beliefs. And, you know, some of them were attending different churches or so I try to utilize that and, and just check out a bunch of churches. But, um, even then maybe like, I don't know, maybe the churches that I did find weren't fit to me Mm. or maybe there are way more churches than I think there are. Yeah. Um, so it's just a constant struggle and a battle because, um, you know, like, like I said before, if you're not, you know, in a church, it's kind of hard to have that accountability yeah. um, and to keep yourself uh, just, you know, your faith strong. Yeah. And these are things I, I do mention and talk with my friends too. And, and it's just, yeah, I mean, at least I have those friends that are believers and I have those friends that I can reach out to and, yeah. and talk to. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a journey. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's not done. Um, and, you know, and especially during COVID, like the best thing was, you know, to just read the word and, you know, be faithful. And yeah. Got it. Well, if you guys wanted to help out Phil on his journey and finding a new church uh, for those Christians out there in New York, you guys can send me a DM at uh, Saints of San Francisco or Saints of SF on Instagram and 
perhaps we could forward that over to Phil. Mm-hmm. Um, so now moving on to work. Um, is it okay if I talk about your work as long as there's no yeah, like name yeah. dropping or anything? No, it's it's completely fine. Got yeah. it. So so I think it's one of the first. Phil's one of the first people that I know in my immediate circle uh, with this kind of background. But uh, Phil went to USC, majored in architecture, and now he works um, in New York for a boutique consulting firm that. Uh, handles covers all the bases in terms of building out and designing uh custom-made homes in the hamptons uh upwards of five to eight million dollars in terms of fair market value so could you tell us a little bit more about what you do and kind of how you got into that niche yeah um growing up i was always into building things um you know just like i'm pretty sure a lot of architects will say the same story (laughs) But not Legos, right? No, I I did build Legos too. Oh, shoot. But um, it would be Legos to, you know, just like RC cars to just a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, Taking apart iPods and like trying to put them together. (laughs) Um, All kinds of of things. Yeah. But uh, I was always into design just in terms of um, just having a concept and an idea. Yeah. I just didn't know how to draw. Mm. Um, And so... You know, at the time, architecture is a very traditional job, um, and they did hand draft and things like that. And so, when I was in high school, I had a, I had a art teacher named Slattery, and he mm. actually taught me the basis of drawing. And oh, wow. that kind of led me into just being really fascinated about perspective drawings. Mm. And... From there, he was like, hey, you should consider architecture. And oh, interesting. I was like, okay, like, you know, naive, like, kid, just, yeah, okay, like, <laughs> I guess I'm good at this. Yeah. And so um, I decided to, to take that and apply. But um, unfortunately, I didn't get into USC at first. Yeah. So I was at Cal State Long Beach mm-hmm. um, just doing design. But at the end of the day, I wanted to be at USC. Mm. Why? Because they had the architecture program. Um, they have the name, yeah. as many Korean parents would want. <laughs> um, and so, you know, with all that, you know, I, I just worked my butt off and, and transferred. Mm. Um, and my next five years was spent at USC, mm-hmm. um, just going through studios, all-nighters, and just becoming that architecture student. Um, I was, you know, just really into it at the time. And uh, that led me to wanting to, you know, live in New York, um, just seeing skyscrapers and different types of buildings. Yeah. Uh, So I had, I literally just cold emailed a bunch of firms out there and uh, this company, this boutique company had reached out to me and mm-hmm. was into my work. Yeah. So I interned for them the year prior to my full time and spent three months in New York. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Came back, finished my final year at school mm-hmm. and I moved to New York full time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like just, it was a small firm. Uh, I enjoyed every bit of it and just learned a lot because that's all I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, I didn't care about the pay at the time. 
although New York is very expensive. Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, I'm young, I'm living in New York. I could just take in and soak in all the experience and knowledge I could get. Yeah. So from construction to drawing to all sorts of things and learning materials and finishings, um, we went ahead and yeah, that, that was it. It was just building out these beautiful million dollar houses in the Hamptons um, from the ground, literally. It was just a design build company where we can take a design and concept and build it uh, to our liking mm-hmm. and to completely furnish it to, yeah. um, to custom furniture and everything. So I was able to do a lot and learn a lot. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just crazy. It's like these beautiful homes just being built. They're, you know, on magazines and all sorts of things. And it's crazy because you, you do see it come to life. Yeah. Um, and it takes about a year, maybe a little longer, but from paper to a physical product is actually really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're in essentially building everything from scratch and, you know, putting out the blueprints, knowing what materials you're going to use, like you said. So how does that, how does that even work? Like, um, in, in terms of like, um, a celebrity, let's just say, or some hedge fund manager comes to your firm and finds it and says, Hey, mm-hmm. you guys build houses and hey, I'm willing to sign a contract and, you know, use X amount of dollars for this budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And then, so I guess from that initial meeting um, and, and kind of getting the information from the client, yeah, like how does everything get set up? And then where does an architecture major play a role um, in, in that process? That's a really interesting question. Um, well, yeah, we have these clients come in and either they see us through our social media or just word of mouth or... Um, they'll see certain houses that they've passed by and it has our sign on it yeah. or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, they pretty much just email us or they'll come into our office. And from there, uh, we just kind of sit with them. Yeah. Um, and if it's an existing building or if it's, you know, just a land, uh, we have to figure all that out. Yeah. Um, and that process takes quite some time because it's not the fun part. <laughs> um, there's a lot of aspects to uh, the start of a construction. And this isn't even us um, tearing down anything. This is literally just tracing like old documents. Yeah. And to see what, um, I guess, how much room we have to work with. Mm. Um, and when laws change, uh, there are certain things we can't tear down or there are certain things we can't build. Yeah. Um, or it has to fit within a certain square footage. Mm-hmm. So that's the stressful part. Yeah. Because we're just going back and forth. A client wants one thing. We're like, Hey, you can't do this because of this, this and that. Yeah. Um, but you know, once we get past that and we get approved with the city, mm-hmm. um, that's where you start to really have fun mm. and you start to really um, get fixated on certain things yeah. and design and 
sit with the client and give proposals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite a long process when you're working with a client. Um, but at the end of the day, you're working with that client and spending time with them, building a relationship because you want to create a product that's good for them just as much as good for you. Mm -hmm. So if we're putting our name on it, you know, we want it to be the best. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, there's, you know, everybody has their own design aesthetic and for our firm, we had a very strong design aesthetic that we went with. Yeah. And there are times where clients would come in and they want, you know, something like quote unquote basic. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we would either be like, Hey, yeah, that works. But have you considered this Mm. or so it is our job to open up that to them, to Mm. give them options and be like, Hey, not everything you see on like restoration hardware, (laughs) shots fired. Um, But nothing on restoration hardware is bad, but it's very like, uh, how would I say it? You would see it in a lot of places. Yeah. It's basic. It's (laughs) basic. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. But you know, when you, and that, if that's something you see all over Instagram, all over social media, like you're going to think that's good or that's the standard. But you know, if you do some research, there's actually a lot of good, designers and furnitures and um, specs you can do to your home to actually amplify that I guess next step into your design Mm -hmm. Um, and as an architect and a designer we do that research and we give them options as like hey these are actually better alternatives for you Mm -hmm. Um, these are some things you haven't considered and it fits within the budget or it fits within the design and aesthetic that you want to go with. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so I think with what you said, I wanted to pivot into your new uh, endeavors for the season for 2021, I guess mm-hmm. a part of 2020 where, you know, your the, the company that you worked at focus a lot on aesthetics and, and branding um, that resonated with your firm. And a lot of that was based on design. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, you're working a lot on design and design thinking, and then you had aspirations or interests in, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. gra- graphic design, correct? Yeah, that is correct. Um, so could you tell us that story of how you got um, started in making your sketches that were being sold at scale <laughs> via your social media account, mm-hmm. and then from the small successes that you had there mm-hmm. to looking into this, this industry called graphic design. And maybe you could explain to our um, listeners what, what, what you were doing initially with sketches and then what graphic design is and what you want to get. Yeah. Into. Um, so I always wanted to be a creative um, at the end of the day. Um, architecture was that creative outlet for me at one point and still is. But um, I always thought of what's the next thing I could do. Yeah. And that happened to be graphic design. Um, I wanted to just create things that was, I don't know, something that I saw every day. Um, And being a guy who's into street culture and growing up in L.A. and, um, you know, just always looking at billboards 
down La Brea or Fairfax <laughs> and seeing the hundreds or Supreme or whoever it may be, um, it always intrigued me. Yeah. And so I was like, Hey, like I want to start creating something like that. Mm. Um, but it didn't start with that. It was just like, I had all these inspirations, but I wanted to kind of utilize my drafting skills and things like that and started to create sketches and drawings that um, were nostalgic to me. Mm. So pretty much I went into illustration. Yeah. Um, and that all started because it was COVID. I had extra time um, and, you know, I was furloughed and I didn't want to just sit around doing nothing. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, let me try to learn some new skills. Mm. Um, and Adobe and all these products are very uh, flexible in its own way where mm. you could use it for architecture and it's like very rigid. Yeah. And you learn and you learn certain shortcuts. But when you become an illustrator, those shortcuts change. Yeah. And you can mold it into any way you want with Adobe or all these programs. Mm. And so my thing was like, hey, let me just mess around with it and mm -hmm. try to just get better at these programs. Yeah. So that led into illustration. I was like, hey, a product a day will get me um, to a certain point where I'll know how to use these um, properly. Yeah. So... I started posting these illustrations up on Instagram just out of the blue. Yeah. And there were just drawings of things I resonated with only because I did it for myself. Yeah. So I would draw in and out burgers. <laughs> um, I would draw Kobe because Kobe passed. By the way. Yeah. Shouts to Kobe, rest in power. But in and out you heard it here, in and out is better than, than Shake Shack. I agree. <laughs> and it's not about the pricing. You know, people add in that caveat of like... It's cheaper. It's more, yeah. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, for the price, In-N-Out is better. But if you're objectively thinking about the better burger than Shake Shack, no, that is patently false. That is blasphemous. And, and, and God understands that <laughs> In-N-Out is better than Shake Shack. So we'll, we'll drop, it, drop it there. But Hands down, it's, it's the best. Um, but yeah, I was drawing all these things that just... Like, that was just me. Um, loved Kobe growing up. Loved eating in and out all the time. And, you know, just loved cars and things like that. Yeah. And so I was just drawing all these things and posting them up on Instagram just so that I had accountability for it. Right, um, right. So that I'm like, okay, I'm doing these things and I saw improvements in them. Yeah. But... One thing led to another and, you know, just people who were following my Instagram or my friends were like just messaging me. They're like, yeah. hey, are you selling this? Are you selling this? Mm -hmm. And I just, I guess I happened to be there at the right time um, with everything. And that just kind of led me into figuring out, hey, like maybe I should sell these. Maybe I can share these things to people. Mm -hmm. And um, I figured out a way to you know, get some sort of assembly line going and found a printer in Brooklyn. And uh, yeah, people were just kind of messaging me, ordering through me and I was shipping them out. 
Oh wow! So so there was no uh, like e-commerce platform or anything like that. They just message you directly or through your social media exactly. platform, and you personally made these illustrations, wrapped them yourself, get got it printed out at the print shop, and then shipped it out personally. No, so I wanted to do that. That was my initial plan. Yeah. Um, but with COVID, I was avoiding uh, going out at, as much as I could. Uh huh. So. The thankfully the print shop in Brooklyn uh, was able to print it out every time I uploaded it. Yeah, and they were able to ship it out from there. Oh wow! So I didn't have to leave my computer. Smart. Yeah. Yeah, and so when I started doing that, of course I had to get a couple test prints yeah. um, shipped to my place mm-hmm. just so that the paper, the color, and everything was on par. Yeah, because what I learned was. What you see on your display screen isn't what's printed sometimes. Yeah. Um, so after a few trial and errors, got it down, and you know for the next six to eight months, I was just shipping things out as much as I was creating things. Yeah. And you know it was, it was a hit. It was good. Mm. Um, it was just really cool because I would get messages from people either they saw it at someone's house. Oh, wow. with my piece or I had friends posting it like hey like your piece is up and things like that and so that made it all worthwhile um, just because everybody had that same feeling as to you know Kobe print that I had yeah. or that in and out print you know and so yeah it just it just went really well mm-hmm. but when I started doing illustrations more um, at the time I wanted to be a graphic designer. Yeah. And so I didn't know what graphic design was, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I just thought, Hey, like I could do these illustrations, maybe, um, the way I arrange it and things like that could mm-hmm. be graphic design. Yeah. But, uh, more and more I started researching and talking to certain people that were in that industry. Yeah. They were saying you have one component of graphic design mm. and you know, there's, so many different components to graphic design yeah which could include photography uh typography mm. layout um color and just a bunch of things that go into it yeah and so you know i just jumped on skillshare or jumped onto a bunch of platforms trying mm-hmm. to understand what graphic design really is yeah and from there i started taking a stab at it Mm. Um, back to the drawing board, doing another project a day and trying to master this thing that I call graphic design. Yeah. Um, and you know, I started posting that up also similar process. Um, and those weren't being sold. Those were just, just for me. Yeah. Um, but one thing led to another and, uh, I had so much that I did, um, because, you know, six to eight months of COVID, like I'm just cranking these out. Yeah. And, you know, just getting good feedback, um, just looking up to my peers and guys in the graphic industry and Instagram. I've just been reaching out to a bunch of people and talking to them yeah. and just having them review my portfolio. And, you know, so far, good feedback. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, maybe this is a switch I can do. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at currently, man. That's an amazing journey. I think from hearing your story, Phil, about this change, I, 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 
want to make three very quick points. Mm-hmm. Um, one, um, it's never too late to make a change. And I think people get pigeonholed into one industry or doing one practice or doing one ch- type of job, especially if they've been doing it for a long period of time. But you can make that switch and it's never too late whether you're 20 you know phil and i are in our 20s you know in your 30s in your 40s if it's something that you want to do and you you put your mind to it you can do it now this isn't you know taking into consideration having family and financial uh, issues and things like that but on principle you can always make a change and it's never too late to make a change two you would think that with architecture and graphic design there's no overlap whatsoever in terms of skill sets and you just have to start from scratch. But that actually wasn't true because things like Adobe or software related to Adobe can um, be molded. It's flexible enough where there is some overlap in skills where you're not starting from the ground up again. And, and uh, Phil has leveraged that. And, and three, you don't need a a conventional education system. You could be doing a side gig project or going on Skillshare and learning these skills and being proactive and engaging with the tools that you have and doing the research um, to get to where you need to in a non-conventional way. So just like Phil, um, I think it's possible to get creative, uh, to get to where you need to in a non-conventional way. So listeners, if you're out there, Phil went from went from architecture to graphic design. And, you know, it's not a one straight shooter path, um, but you can achieve it. So I think with all that said, my last question to you now is, you know, you've gotten noticed. And obviously before you leave, I see a napkin underneath your uh, water cup and I'll have you sign that and I'll frame it. So when you become super famous, uh, I'll make sure to sell that off eBay. Uh, But, you know, you went through this amazing journey and you kind of picked yourself up by your bootstraps, created a portfolio using underpriced attention on social media and you've been relatively successful. So where, 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 if, if at all, um, does faith come into that or God come into that? Um, and, and you, you know, you could be honestly truthful and be like, Hey, like I was on my grind. This is what I needed to be doing. And there wasn't any aspect of religion or spirituality or God in this process. Um, but could you just talk about one, if there was any intersection, intersectionality between, um, God and faith? and your current process mm-hmm. or two, um, if there wasn't, then, um, what, what your next moves are? Mm. No, that's a very good question. Um, in terms of that, well, in the beginning, it was just a way for me to just have a creative outlet. Yeah. Um, no faith. It was literally, I knew these things. I knew these skills how can I utilize them and did it for myself at the moment? Yeah. Um, which I think most people do do, mm-hmm. but faith really came into the picture when I was making the switch. Um, 
making the switch from architecture to graphic design yeah. where I thought the skills I did have and just the feedback. And I was like, is this worth the change? Is this something that, you know, um, I could do. Mm. And I think all these questions and, and just at moments of uncertainty yeah. was when, you know, faith was there. Yeah. And, you know, God just speaks in different ways yeah. and through different people. Yeah. And I think at the time when I was asking these questions to myself, um, you know, I had great friends around me mm. and just family and, um, and they were able to kind of empower me up and, and root for me and, you know, just be like, Hey, you're, you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way that was kind of like God's way of speaking through them to me. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's been a couple moments just in this journey where, you know, whether I get a, a, a freelance client or some artist or, um, some opportunity that comes my way. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I always ask is, Hey, like, is this right? Yeah. Like, am I doing the right thing? Mm. Um, is this the right client I should be going towards? Yeah. Uh, and so at moments of uncertainty, just because I'm, you know, in this open water of unknown. Yeah. Uh, I think that's when God really speaks. Yeah. Uh, just because, yeah, I have all these hard skills and I have the skills that you have provided. Mm. But um, when I'm, when I don't know the direction I'm going right. or um, I could just keep running this race and keep drawing and doing all these things um, and getting better at it. Yeah. I just have to trust in him that he will, you know, shed that light and provide the right people around me. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah it's just, um, you know, it's just weird times where, where he pops up and, yeah. and you know, just kind of tells me, Hey, I'm here kind of mm. thing. And, um, and I think, uh, it's, it's important to, you know, just be ready for those moments, but mm. also to acknowledge those moments, mm. um, just because, you know, and it could be faith or it could even just be opportunities. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you, you just gotta be just on your toes, just, um, just wanting answers and, and just believing in him mm. because, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I, I've been chasing before I've been chasing money before I've been chasing, um, you know, just stability and all these things. And mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't, right. right. Who doesn't want to, um, have a stable family or who doesn't want to be self-made and all these things. Yeah. And, and when it doesn't happen accordingly, then, um, you know, you, you question a lot of things, mm-hmm. you blame things too, and you mm-hmm. blame people. But, um, when you just have that right mindset and just believing in him, then, um, when you have those little moments of like questioning, you know, it's just, it's just your time with him. Yeah. And, and I think that's a moment where you just need to kind of cherish and, and try to really talk to him. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's weird, but those, those moments do happen. Yeah. Well, I couldn't have uh, said any better wise words from Phil. And I think, you know, how with the stock market, when your stock valuation goes down, people trip up and they sell. I feel like when you're going through tough moments and you don't know what's going on, a lot of people choose 
to believe in their own facts and opinions than relying on God. They kind they kind of sell out God as this like you know like they they just like jump ship you know yeah, absolutely and they try to rely on themselves which is the worst thing you could do you have to hold on to your faith and and to God kind of like you hold on to your stocks during a tumultuous time <laughs> and ride it out and acknowledge the fact that this is happening and acknowledge that um, God is there so with that said thank you so much Phil for coming on last minute uh, yeah, all the way you. from New York and then LA to SF and and just taking this podcast on in good spirits even though it was a little bit last minute um, but do you have any uh, last words? You could also add in your plug for your social media as well to get some traction. Yeah. Um, my Instagram is like my main like portfolio, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody's interested in those types of works, um, it's Philip Yang underscore less amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got that right. Hold on. Let me check. <laughs> let me make sure that that's right. Um, got it. Philip. Philip Yang underscore less amazing. Uh, and yeah, if anybody's just open to even having questions or anything like that in my journey or um, whether you're making a switch, yeah, I'm always open to talk to people. Um, that's my thing. I just love talking to people and awesome. just hearing their stories. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's about it. Awesome. We're, well, th- there you have it. You can find him at Philip Yang underscore less amazing. And if you want to get inspos for becoming an illustrator or a graphic designer, or if you want to buy some of his work, which is amazing, I'm pretty sure you guys should get one, get it signed by him personally and sell it for <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in the future. But thank you again. And Saints, we're signing off. Happy holidays. Hey Saints, thanks for tuning into this week's Christmas episode. We'll be back in the new year with a very special guest that you won't want to miss. Happy holidays everyone, stay safe and see you soon.